Welcome to the Global Business Women's Pod, brought to you by the Greater Houston Women's Chamber of Commerce. I am Susan Dyson and proud to be the CEO, President, and Founder of the Chamber. Please join us for this empowering podcast every Thursday at 6 p.m. Um, I, I am incredibly honored to have the opportunity to, to be with you this afternoon. This has really, really been quite a day, and I feel very humbled being on the stage with those that have gone on before me. After retiring as the CEO of a midstream pipeline company, I now serve on the boards of four publicly traded companies, and I never dreamed I would one day serve on company boards, and I could not be happier. People often ask me about my career path to board director. It always makes me smile as my actual dream for most of my career was to be the general manager of an oil refinery. Years ago, I obtained a degree in chemical engineering. At that time, I believe only one woman had graduated before us at our university in all of engineering. After graduation, I became a process engineer at Sunoco's refinery in Toledo, Ohio, my hometown. A few years later, a serious incident occurred. A key unit in our refinery suffered a major explosion that required a massive rebuild of the unit. I was assigned to lead the investigation, and the root cause was clear, but the analysis was a bit more complex. Two mechanics had removed a hydrocarbon pump for maintenance with the suction and discharge valves wide open under full pressure. Now think about that for a moment. One of the mechanics later told me he was hit in the chest with high-pressure flammable liquid and blown off his feet. He had the presence of mind to get up and run. Then the vapors found an ignition source. Thankfully, there were no fatalities and there were no injuries, but the mechanics and all those near the vicinity of the explosion knew they had barely escaped death. If I walked each of you through the investigation, you would say, well, removing a pump with the inlet and outlet valves wide open under full pressure is an obvious error. But there were so many other factors, factors such as running the unit well beyond its limits, a poor hiring and training program, lack of proper procedures, and the list goes on. The lessons from that incident formed the very foundation of my lifelong passion of education, growing leaders, and keeping people safe. After that investigation, I soon realized that I wanted to be an operations supervisor, working directly with unit operators. Several years later, I applied for the job. Then I applied again. Then I applied again. And I ultimately applied five times before senior management began to take me seriously. There had never been a woman operations area supervisor in the company. Through the years, whenever I was promoted, I would always hear, do you know you are the first woman in the company to have this position? And it would always make me laugh because there were very few women in operations in all of our refineries at that time. As an area supervisor, I followed my passion of developing leaders and keeping people safe. Establishing an operator apprenticeship program. I also devoted myself to overhauling our interview process for new hires, working with subject matter experts to write training manuals and emergency procedures. 
addressing operator safety concerns, field testing every operator in the area, and teaching the importance of operating within our limits. Then there was May 5th, 1988, and some of you may not have been born then, but it's the date that changed the entire process industry from a safety perspective. I read about a devastating explosion at Shell Norco's refinery near New Orleans. A leak developed at an elbow and an overhead pipe in a key unit caused by the addition of an inhibitor, which over time eroded the pipe elbow, which then blew out, leading to an unconfined vapor cloud explosion, and the operators never saw it coming. Seven people lost their lives in this early morning explosion. And I quickly found myself from afar, grieving for the and praying for the families, co-workers, and area supervisor in the whole town of Norco. It took well over four years to build a new unit similar to the old one at Shell Norco. Process safety and mechanical integrity became paramount to the industry and to me. It was the key incident that initiated U.S. OSHA process safety management laws for the process industry. At Sunoco, I continued to move up through operations. After relocating to Philadelphia from Toledo with Sunoco, I became an area superintendent, an operations manager, a production manager, a commercial senior manager, and then, with a bit of a jolt, I hit the glass ceiling. I did not realize there was even a glass ceiling until then. Becoming a refinery manager was clearly out of reach for me. Before I left the company, after 20 years of service, the CEO requested that I meet with him. A gracious man, he asked me not to leave the company. I explained to him that it was clear I would never be a refinery manager at Sunoco. There were few, if any, women refinery managers in the U.S. at that time, but no doubt there was not a path to get there at Sunoco. Knowing it was true, the CEO hung his head and said, please always use me as a reference. I did use him as a reference through the years, and he was always quite supportive. Moving my family from Philadelphia to Houston, I had the opportunity to work with Lyondell Sitco Refining Company, a single-site joint venture with a 30-year crude supply agreement with Petavesa, the National Oil Company of Venezuela. The vice president of human resources was fulfilling her dream of creating a leadership team of thoughtfully diverse people, reflecting the diversity of the workforce. The company's focus on work processes and coupling the business strategy with the people strategy were incredible. I had never seen initiatives implemented so quickly in my career. During that time, I had the opportunity to earn an MBA from Rice University in Houston, and I was able to apply the classroom lessons to the workplace. Coupling both work and academic experiences reinforced for me that diversity and inclusiveness are no doubt key ingredients to success. My next job in Houston was Vice President of Technical Assurance at Shell Deer Park Refining Company, the Shell Pemex Joint Venture. I was responsible for all the engineering departments, IT, as well as capital construction. For me, it was all about goal setting, implementing process safety work processes, and growing leaders. This led to my next position, Director of Process Safety and Business Improvement for all Shell's U.S. refineries. Although a bit of a learning curve working with seven refineries, 
This position allowed me the opportunity to gain a deep knowledge of how to safely manage a facility, applying both a management system and a portfolio of key work processes. It was all about striving to achieve operational excellence. Then it happened. One day, Shell's executive vice president of global manufacturing, a woman, asked me if I was interested in becoming the general manager of the Norco refinery. Norco, then part of the Shell-Saudi Aramco joint venture, was a 250,000 barrel per day day refinery with over 850 employees and over 300 contractors, a big Gulf Coast refinery. I was stunned. Knowing that my operations experience was not at Shell, I did not believe I would ever have this opportunity. After all those years, my dream finally came true and the glass ceiling was beginning to crack. My new boss was the U.S. Regional Vice President. Ironically, he was also the same person who was the area supervisor of the Norco Fluid Catalytic Cracker when it exploded on May 5, 1988, the same man that I had kept in my prayers all those years ago. It seemed I had come full circle, becoming the site manager of the facility that had impacted the trajectory of my career. But as with any dream, reality is always a bit more complicated. I started as the general manager of Norco the year after Hurricane Katrina. The New Orleans French Quarter was still closed. People were still living in small federally funded trailers throughout the city. And refinery employees were still reeling from the massive disruption to their lives. Like so many, my heart ached for the people who suffered the effects of the hurricane. At Norco, the employees truly believed the facility would soon be shut down as company after company in every industry did not return after Katrina. Also, site performance prior to the hurricane was not good. At my first Norco town hall, I could see that the people in front of me were exhausted. You could not live in the city and feel any other way. Being from Houston, one of the few cities that truly reached out and helped in a big way, I told them that they had been in my prayers every day since the hurricane. I could see the tears well up in their eyes. The path forward for me became crystal clear. As with most general managers, you only have what seems a brief time to put the right people into the right jobs. I surrounded myself with diverse, incredible talent. We determined our vision, our values, and our goals. Our vision was to be the best refinery in the world. And it sounds quite lofty, but we were measured in all key results areas, personal and process safety, reliability, environmental performance, product quality, and cost leadership every month against our Shell refinery peers across the globe. So who could not agree that the best in Shell may well be the best in the world? When we discussed our vision with our extended leadership team, the response was swift. Where do we start, Miss Anne Marie? I love the culture in New Orleans. They're wonderful. As a leadership team, we recognized that our core values were the foundation. Whenever in the field, multiple times a day, we communicated our core values repeatedly in every way possible. Respect for all people, honesty and integrity, personal excellence, courageous leadership, and behaving as one team. We discussed our sacred responsibilities because when fatalities can occur, 
Our responsibilities to address significant issues are sacred. Our goals, safety, and operational excellence in all that we do were clear and prescriptive. It was ultimately about long-term sustainability of the facility. Communicating our vision, values, and goals repeatedly, we strategically embedded our key work processes, our governance structure, and our meeting structure. We also hired a senior leader with the staff responsible for site-trended metrics and ensuring every issue had a home, an owner, an action plan, and a due date. This was our accountability model. At Norco, we worked hard and we played hard. We celebrated safety with parades, brass bands, and the second line down Main Street, and we always remembered those that came before us. In 2008, we held a 20th anniversary memorial service to acknowledge the seven operators who died on May 5th, 1988. We invited the residents from the town of Norco to the refinery. The commemoration was brief and it was touching. As general manager, I had the opportunity to speak. Our union president spoke, then the actual co-workers reading each name and ringing the fireman's brass bell then the bagpipes and Amazing Grace. After it was over, two young people in their mid-twenties walked up to me and thanked me for hosting the memorial service. They were adorable. After some small talk, they finally mentioned that their father had died in the explosion 20 years earlier. My stomach dropped and my knees nearly buckled. I did not see that coming. 20 years without their father, it reinforced for me, once again, why I devoted my career to keeping people safe, but now I could feel it even more deeply. Within three years at Norco, we went from a weak performing site to the best in the Shell's global system, best in process safety, best in reliability, best in product quality, best in environmental performance, all while achieving first quartile costs. And most importantly, we went 745 days without an OSHA recordable injury. I'm so proud of that statistic. Thank you. I am so proud of that statistic. I may ask that it be chiseled on my gravestone. Everywhere I looked, I saw more than leadership. I saw incredible courage in the workplace in the face of trying personal circumstances after Hurricane Katrina. It truly was all about courageous leadership, and Norco, Norco had it in spades. This is the story I am most proud to share. Everyone in this room should have a story in their career that makes it clear to their respective audiences what they are most passionate about. For me, it was ultimately all about growing and encouraging leaders, living by our core values, and keeping people safe in all ways. After Norco, ironically, I returned to Sunoco as Senior Vice President of Refining. The company that would not consider me for a refinery manager position 12 years earlier now offered me the opportunity to be responsible for all of their refineries and chemical plants. Had over 12, I had over 2,500 employees, again, full circle. Three years later, I retired from Sunoco. A year into retirement, at my son's encouragement, 
I became the CEO of Oil Tanking Partners, a midstream master limited partnership and its holding company, ultimately paving the way to the boards on which I now serve, where I can influence personal and process safety, operational excellence, as well as mentor young leaders. Of course, there is a bit more to the story. Like all of you, I do have life outside the workplace. I am the mom of four children and my mom to four grandchildren. I have always believed that being a manager is very much like being a parent. The approach is the same. Treat the people in your organization at every level, as well as your children at every age, with dignity and respect. Every night at the dinner table, we prayed that we would be the best we could be, do the best that we could do, and bring out the best in others. I am proud to say my children took those words seriously. Today, my oldest son, Thomas, a computer engineer, is the Director of Space Projects for the U.S. Department of Defense. My daughter, Erin, an aerospace engineer, was previously responsible for the thermal analysis of all the tiles on the space shuttle when she worked at NASA. She now homeschools three of my grandchildren as one of her children has significant special needs. My third child, Daniel, has a successful career in film and television in Los Angeles. Daniel and his lovely wife are also the proud parents of an adorable toddler that they named after Daniel's brother, Matthew. Matthew, my youngest, majored in both French and chemical engineering, the first in the history of that university with such a combination. Matthew spent six months in Paris studying engineering in French. Can you imagine taking thermodynamics and fluid mechanics in French? Matthew's friends often said he was an amazing listener, and he was always focused on helping others in every way. For me, he was simply my little buddy, always fun to be with, always such a positive, bigger-than-life kind of person. We all have hardships in our lives. And losing Matthew quite unexpectedly during his third year at the university was debilitating. The deep sadness of losing a child has intensified even more. My passion for keeping people safe and operational excellence, no matter the industry. When a company has a fatality, not only did they lose a co-worker or a contractor, but that coworker or contractor is someone's daughter or son or parent or sibling or close friend. Since Matthew passed away, I've been on an intense journey to develop a deeper understanding of myself and others and our ultimate purpose on this earth. What I have learned from Matthew, my family, and my husband, Chris, is that it truly is all about loving, about giving people the benefit of the doubt, and about helping others along life's path. What I have learned from my friends and colleagues is that we must allow others to help us, especially during our times of need. My friends and colleagues reached out to me in incredible ways after my son's death. For example, one colleague flew from Houston to Philadelphia in the morning and returned to Houston early afternoon just to take me to lunch as he had once lost a child. A dear friend called me literally every day for a year just to check in on me. And and another example, those operators I worked with 25 years earlier, 
Many came to my son's funeral, and they often called me to ask how I was doing. We are all here for a purpose, a higher calling. We must ask ourselves, what will people say about us when we retire or when we die? Were we amazing listeners? How many lives did we touch? How many random acts of kindness did we do expecting nothing in return? How many people have we helped along the way? Have we allowed others to help us, giving them the opportunity to feel good about themselves? These questions are foundational. My request of all of you, please be courageous leaders in what you do. Identify, then live by your core values. Recognize that alignment between your core values and your behaviors brings peace to your life and peace to the lives of others. Find someone to mentor and ensure you have a mentor as well. Again, allowing others to help you. And please know that striving for excellence in all that we do brings meaning to life. Simply put, be the best that you can be, do the best that you can do, and do all you are able to bring out best in others. You will find returns sevenfold in the form of care, loyalty, and the commitment of others and in those angels who reach out to you from everywhere when you need them most. Thank you for allowing me to share my story with you. Thank you so much for joining us. We will see you again next Thursday at 6 p.m. For more information about the Chamber and our podcast, please visit us at ghwcc.org.